Hey everyone, Jason here from your favorite Fakakta Comedy Funhouse programs. If you're enjoying this show, I have a feeling you're also going to enjoy the podcast Couch Pilots. Myself and the podcasting god, Blake Clayton, take a break from the grind and sit down on our favorite Davenport every week to watch and discuss some of the most odd and misunderstood television pilots of the past. There is such a treasure trove of bizarre viewing out there, and we're just the jerks to dig them up and make a show about it. Watch along with us and join in the conversation. Find us at fcfnetwork.com or rate the show and subscribe in iTunes or your podcast app of choice. Thanks for listening and enjoy the rest of the show. Hey, I'm Parrish Randall from the Quick and the Undead, Circus of the Dead, as well as Slaughterhouse, Fleshkeeper, you name it. I play bad guys, sometimes not so much. And you're listening to the Metal Hand of God podcast with Wayne, Kyle, Rum Guy, and Adam. No better place to go if you're listening and you want to be in the know. the Metal and the God podcast. I am your host, Wayne, and sitting on my lap is Little Wayne. Not Lil not, Wayne. not the rapper Little Wayne, but my Little Wayne. Complete opposite. Yes, completely. And sitting next to him is Little Kyle. Kyle. <laughs> How y'all doing? And, of course, across the nation is... I'm the rum guy. You're the who? The rum guy. Could you be a little more excited about this? The rum guy! The rum guy! All right, all right. And we actually have a very special guest, a guy I'm, I'm really excited to have on the show because I really like this, the movies that he's in. So, uh, Mr. What? I said good times. God, you interrupted me. I was about to be like all good and shit to, to announce our, our guest. You and it. you're like, and you're, you still got it. You want, you want to give the reins to Lil Wayne? Yeah, yeah no, no, no. Okay. <laughs> Mr. Parrish Randall's on the show today. Woo! What's up, Parrish? Going great. How are you guys doing? Awesome, man. Awesome. And thank you so much for coming on the show, man. I know you're a busy dude, and I know you got a lot of stuff going on, and I really appreciate you coming on. Absolutely. It's an honor. I, I enjoy uh, I enjoy bullshitting with folks about <laughs> the film industry. Hey. Hey, man. We, when we're the guys to bullshit with, because we are full of bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> 
Well, mm-hmm. my wife tells me I am too, so you know. All right. <laughs> ah, so my mine tells me the same thing. Texas uh. and they tend to be very honest, you know. <laughs> you know, it's weird because the last um, uh, before Caitlin, every girl I dated mm. was from Texas. Yeah, it was really weird. The last four I dated before four. before Caitlin were, wow. were were from Texas, and they then were 14 years old too. And, no, they were not fourteen years old. <laughs> I've never dated a fourteen year old. You fucking pig. <laughs> Peppa well, pig. Give you, hey, I'll give you a story. I mean, oh yeah, go ahead, man. Oh, when I stories. met my wife, I went to a party. Now this is back many many years ago. All right, mm-hmm. many moons. Uh, yeah, many moons, and. Uh, Went to this party, and uh, there's this chick there, and she's got this uh, really, really, really short mini skirt, but you know, That's always nice. on in the high heels and the heavy makeup, the big hair. Hey, it was the 80s. The right? Dominant cast. Hell yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And I, I saw her, I mean, I was like, I, I knew, I, I, I want that, you know? Right, right. <laughs> yeah. So I asked her out. So we go out, and we, we were going out like, for like that, I don't know, three, four dates, and uh she never would let me pick her up at her house. She mm. always pick her up at a friend's house. So anyway, we dated for probably two months, and then she sprung on me. And I was 19. She was 14. Oh! Yeah. But, uh, that happens. That, that, that chick ended up being my wife. And, uh, nice. My wife. Years later, hey, we're still married. But, you know, that's the thing about, you know, hey. at least back then. I mean, that you know. Young love. The, the ladies, man, that <clears throat> she with all the makeup mature. on, you couldn't tell she looked twenty one. Right, know? right. We're so, still running into that shit. And right. the problem now is they're they're like ten and they look like they're oh, yeah. twenty one. You know, like that with my with my uh, my high school girlfriend. Yeah, Wait, the one you have now? Now what? <laughs> <laughs> Jerks! Everybody's getting everybody today, huh? All right, sock yeah. it to me. I see you. That's, <laughs> what, that's what she told you. But yeah, she like she, but she didn't look it because she was she was taller than me. So you it know, it, it doesn't take much. But still, <laughs> you understand the stallions out here. I get it. I get like, it. I understand. I understand. And you know, for for a while we dated, talked on the phone, and everything. And then you realize that oh, you aren't the age that you said you were. No, you ten. What the hell are you doing? I don't me? know. This is crazy. That's too big. For it's me a it's again. a it's a scary world. Yeah, and her I mom mean, was very overprotective. And it was very hard to talk to her. But we talked for a while. I mean, you like, know, we looked past the age difference, and it was like, well, okay. I never dated anybody younger, you know, younger than me. Really? And not in high school. High school or elementary? No, I, I mean I never even dated somebody. I well, I well I, I said before in there, another episode. I I apparently was dating people that I didn't know I was dating when I was in high school. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, I remember you oh, said really? But it was, that was a different thing. But like consciously going out and asking somebody out, I I just never asked anybody out. Huh. Yeah. I always, I always asked. Uh, and you got an old lady and everything, huh? Yeah, yeah he's well, married. Well, I used to hang out at the well, colleges work? around my area, so I used to hang out at the colleges. And I always had. Uh, I worked at a radio station in the college, and I met a lot of girls there. And of course, you're in bands and stuff. You're just meeting people while you're playing. True. So uh, you, uh-huh. you never know how old they are. You just go, yeah, well, go and get a drink. <laughs> you just go with it. <laughs> well, well, well I mean, if that's that, that oh, are they asking you to go get a drink, or you asking them? <laughs> Both. Both. Well, that's asking somebody out, right? Yeah, but I mean, not they weren't younger than me. Do you, are you sure? I'm very, I'm very sure. As a matter of fact, the <laughs> one girl I took to uh, to the one my one prom, um, she was 33. Did you check everybody's age on their ID? Because <laughs> <laughs> girls do not tell their age. Girls do not tell their age all the time. Yeah. <laughs> 
at all. They yeah. they so a lot all the time. I'm 21 for the eighth time. It's like, well, come cut it out. You know, Rum always gives me shit because uh, the first time he met me, um, uh, I was dating a girl who was 19 and I was 33. Mm. That's keeping vitality alive, Rum. She wasn't 19. Yes, yeah, she was. Dude, yeah, I met her at the Whack a Mole at Chuck E. Cheese. Oh, oh. shut up. Zingers. Yeah, she was nineteen, I was thirty-three, and then and then Caitlin is twenty-five, and I'm forty-one, so yeah. we're seventeen years apart. Yep. So. That's but a... in Los Angeles, I mean, you know, 33, 19, 63, 19. It happens all the time. Right, right, exactly, dude. You know, so eighty-three, nineteen. Yeah, like I, I don't think it matters, you know, that much out there. But but honestly, you know, by the time I met my wife's parents, when she finally took me, I I, I was smart. You know, it's like there's a commercial on TV nowadays. You know, I show up to meet her parents. I had 12 red roses, and they were not for my wife. They were for uh. her mother, okay? Ooh, <laughs> skills. You got skills, man. Bring the mother over, and then you, you're okay. You know? That's good. There you go. It yeah, worked. you got to be. The, hard, the hardest one, though, I don't would be pervish. the dad's over. The who? The dad's over, dad's. yeah. You know what? It was. I mean, her dad, like, gave me That's this uh, Perry Mason cross-examination. Kind of, that you know, we always try not to say. Yeah, interrogation. Just, kind of scary, just tiptoeing around I, I said the right wrong. things. Made the right <laughs> yeah. yeah. We made it, you know? That's you good. know, That's good, man. you know, I, I I did the uh, the honorable thing instead of bringing flowers. Uh, you know, I got mine pregnant, so it was Boom. okay. Take that, hey! It's like now you now. now you have to like me. Gotta tell him now. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, but but anyway, yeah. Let's get on. Let's get off of how, Jesus, how much how much out of that box? how much God perverts damn. we really are in life, and uh, <laughs> you know? um, we we all went after the young girls. That's just what happens. That's what uh, we do. Young girls come after me because I look that age. So that's because they think a, you're still in kindergarten. That's man. fine. I have I have a fucking out. <laughs> so <laughs> so parish. Yes. What you got coming down the line, man? You got some 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 stuff for people to to go check out. Actually, you know, I mean, uh, I mean things that you can talk about. I'm saying, yeah, you know. yeah, yeah. You know, uh, I've got a film coming up that I'm doing called Rift, R-I-F-T, Rift, mm. and uh, Reduction I play a force. really asshole-ish husband to a young lady who. Well, I can't really describe it other than I can say that it appears that my character is a really abusive. R E S O B. Okay. Nice. Okay. And uh, he may or really may not be. I mean, you know, sometimes, as we know, sometimes there are those conniving women out there who may set things up to appear maybe a little differently than what they really are, right? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. This, this could so, be something with a twist then. Yeah, it's a psycho thriller. And uh, looking forward to doing that one with a young lady. She's an actress uh, here in Texas, Anjanette Cluis. Nice. Uh, yeah, yes, and she's been a good friend for years, so we've, we've kind of been wanting to work together for some time, so that's coming up, and uh, I just did a, uh, it was really cool, it was fun, uh, a documentary, uh, or participated in a documentary for a UK filmmaker, Tony Newton, and he did a, this documentary uh, entitled VHS Lives, a schlockumentary, mm. and what what it's really about, it's about going back and talking about all the video nasties, you know, I mean, you've heard of that over in the yeah. UK, video nasty video list, nasties. Wow. I don't know, just kind of revisiting uh, the days of, of uh, if you will, horror on, on VHS and stuff. Yeah, though, actually, yeah, it isn't, isn't it on, um, I believe it's on Netflix. What, VHS? The well, thing he's talking oh, about. Oh, well, this one, actually, I just did the uh, interview actually early last week uh so it's in post-production there oh, okay. be another 
like it out there. Well, what I'm thinking, I'm I was watching a documentary on horror films, so maybe it might have been uh, a uh, like some a dude who was just like a big collector of VHS horror, and it was in the involved in the you know in the story. What is the uh, significance of a uh, VHS horror? Because there's a lot of VHS, like, there's a lot of movies that came out on VHS tapes yeah. that have never uh, come back on DVD. Okay, yeah, so you yeah. cannot replace those. The VHS days uh, uh, for film, uh, the king was horror. Oh yeah, that that, that, that you porno. could see it on TV though. They don't. Do you, you mean they don't have it anywhere else besides just on this VHS? Some of them. You, yeah, some of them, man. You can't. You can barely find any. You know, some of the things oh. that I used to watch. I mean, you, there's no freaking way they they they've never even pressed them on DVD. Mm. The the irony is that uh, you know what really brought the home video market to the forefront as far as you know the actual major studios and even the independent you know studio uh, filmmakers releasing their you know movies on VHS at the time and you know was actually the uh, well it was actually the porn industry okay yeah, right the adult film industry and by the mid 70s 1976 they began to release their work you will uh, on well beta was actually the primary format initially and then came VHS shortly very quickly thereafter Sony had Betamax and RCA had VHS and there was this war between the two but what occurred was you know with the porn industry uh, it established the home video market as this viable money making big money making uh, right. industry and that's when you had all the other companies pop up and they began to release non-adult Type genres and uh, oh. then became a major force. That's right? really cool. Huh. The home video market. See, uh, wow! Thanks for thanks to porn. Huh? Yeah, yeah. Porn, porn is what what is what gave porn, you the DVD collection. Come on. Yeah, well, let me rephrase. Porn used to sell. I, I don't know. They kind of give. It oh, yeah, no, not anymore. Oh no, no. It's pr- it's pretty dead now. Because I mean, yeah. you can go to any like uh like torrent site now and look up porn yeah. if you want for free. Why would yeah, anybody want to buy it? Makes it? no sense. Why are you gonna you know? I mean, most people are into the cam girls. That's what they making their money. I mean, now. I mean, you know, honestly, it's like you know, I'm not gonna go spend sixty dollars on a DVD when I can go and watch you know the the, the what. 10 minutes I need on TV. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, hey, it is what it is. And I, I'm thinking, wow, that there's just, I don't know. I, you know, I'm not familiar with the porn industry, but I'll simply say there, there must be a lot of people that are not overly intelligent actually managing the business to actually allow the videos to, to to stream out there. I mean, they have to know that they're cutting into their. Oh, I don't think they can stop. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't. That's what yeah, I don't understand. But, but, but that's what I don't understand is like, because with. with um, even you know, like with when, when we were talking to Billy, you know Billy Pond, we were yeah. talking to him about his film, and he's really tight with it. You know, he doesn't want it to be out on the internet. You know, uh-huh. he does not want to lose Circus on the internet until it's released on you know DVD or where it's distributed. Yep. Cannot which it. which I completely understand because I mean you lose money. Yeah, when it comes know, I'm that pretty way, sure they could do it that he could do it like if it's personally his that it is, is yeah. like right they could do it that way, but with porn. But well, that's what I'm gonna say is like unless you don't want this know. certain one to get out, don't put it out. Yeah, there. but they know it. <laughs> the thing so, is, is like they know it's gonna be scattered all over. Why do they not keep a tighter lock on these things? You know what I mean? Uh, I don't think I don't they care. Understand. You know, and I'll tell you with with filmmakers, uh, non-born filmmakers, uh, like like Billy. Billy's a great director. Okay, and quick, I don't know. Have you guys seen Circus? Oh yes, I, I'm the only one in the whole group that's seen it. Okay. Me and my girl, me and my fiance, has seen it. When I, when I got the script, I read it, and I thought, and I've done twenty horror films since two thousand five, 
And I, you know, I read it and I thought, wow, this is this storyline is really unique. And and uh, I thought so too. That most horror films sort of examine from the female perspective. Uh, you know, uh, you know, when I say they examine from the female perspective. The woman being placed in in jeopardy. Okay, the the woman is fighting so, for her life or for her kids. Or right. Whatever, you know, it's the damsel in distress scenario. Right. Right. Which works beautifully, obviously. But you know, suddenly I'm reading this screenplay where here's the father of the kids, and he's the one who's put in a position of having to really go through hell to try and save his kids. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and like I say, so I read it and I thought, man, I, I love this part. So I was thrilled to get the part and uh, and work for Billy was really an awesome experience. Billy and his team out there in Odessa, they they truly they have their stuff together. He's he's such a good guy, man, and like and he's he's become a good friend too. Yeah, he's he's been putting us in touch with all of you guys. That's how you know we've been locating everybody. Like actually, uh, we had uh, Mr. Blister on recently. Right. Um, we're gonna have Noodle Noodle yeah. Dome will be on soon. Yeah. Um, yeah. And um, uh, the young lady who played your wife will be on July. I think she's coming on the show July second. So. Yeah, yeah. Chanel's a sweetheart, you know, and uh, Tiffany Burkefest, who had a uh, a small part in the film. She played Rose in the convenience store. Nice, too. nice. Yeah. She was she was awesome to work with. I mean, it was just kind of one of those. And Bill Oberst and I talked about this. You know, you do. You're appreciative as an actor for every gig you get, okay? And, you know, so you show up, you do your job, etc. But not every film that you do or film project that you do as an actor is one that you that you really hate to see in. You know, because you really enjoy the people you're working with and, and, I don't know, they become sort of extended family. Circus was one of those films, though, that really, truly, it was like, man, a week into it, all these people, I mean, they were so kind and so awesome to us that uh, you just really, we both hated to see it end because, again, sadly enough, not every project is is that well done, okay? And yeah. <laughs> but, you know, listen, even those that maybe aren't that well done, you still love to do, okay? Because it's, it's what it's, Yeah, it's fun. It's work. It's what you do. You know, it's, it's, it's part of your... Um, your artwork, you know, it's your art form, you know, it's what, great. What, what jumped you into the genre? Well, you know, I mean, back in, uh, back in 2000, well, I'll make it real, really quick about, you know, listen, I wanted to, I guess I, I can say truly, I wanted to be an actress since I was a little kid. When I was six years old, I, I was sitting up watching the old Late Late shows. They actually showed old movies on all the, you know, local channels back when I was a kid, and, uh, I would watch the movies, uh, you know, black and white films with James Cagney, Humphrey Bogart, Jimmy Stewart, and I don't know, I, I remember probably six, seven years old, that being my earliest realization of what is escapism, you know? Uh, growing up in a small town, suddenly I realized, hell, these films would take you on adventures to places you <laughs> yeah. can imagine going. And uh, so I remember saying at an early age, man, I want to do that. And, of course, I also remember my parents at the time saying, you're full of shit, you know? <laughs> yeah. You're not in Hollywood, bro. You're not going to make any money. <laughs> right. And uh, and so I did the, the, I guess, you know, the thing that everybody encouraged me to do, which was I went on through high school, went to college, and uh, became a, uh, well, I was assistant director of patient accounting for a major healthcare corporation. Wow. Right. Mm. And uh, 
But there came a point by the, I don't know, late 90s that, you know, throughout my life I still had this, I don't know, compulsion. I wanted to somehow participate in, in what would be storytelling through film. Uh, and I ended up by chance meeting a good friend of my dad's. My dad had gone to school with him, uh, Judon Baker, who played Buford Pusser in Walking Tall. Oh, oh wow. Okay. All those films. He, <clears throat> Jodan actually hails from the same small town that I hail from. And uh, anyway, Jodan and I struck up a conversation, and he was the first guy who said, Well, come on out to LA. And I, you know, because he said, I really believe that, you know, he couldn't guarantee, you know, anything, because there are no guarantees. Ever. No, never. But he did say, You know, he told me later, my eyes, when he was describing to me the hard work and the years that you had to put into it before you really got anywhere, he he said of all the people that had always approached him about wanting to get into films, he said my eyes were the only ones that didn't glaze over when he began talking about the hard work, okay? So, I guess it impressed him enough. He had me out to L.A., my wife and I, uh, several times, and then he, he guided me into some acting classes and different things uh he never got me a role he, that was not something i would ask for i didn't want I, I never wanted to get a part because somebody else got it for me okay i'm kind of one of those people that i, I do believe and i mean this sincerely the best way to achieve any goal is is through your own hard work and effort you know if you want it and want to be able to be proud of it and call it your own do it yourself you know oh yeah definitely joe don did enable me because he'd you know, had 40 sure. years in the business he enabled me with his wisdom and guidance to uh, to get the right training and, and as well to avoid a lot of the pitfalls because you know when you're new to the industry there are those people that huh. yeah there are pitfalls let me just say that and uh, so by 2001 I ended up doing some uh, bit parts on the uh, Walker Texas Ranger show right. oh cool and, uh, and, and you know Chuck was really great uh, Chuck Norris, he he and his team had me back like during that final season. I, I think out of eight, nine, they didn't do. They did a half a season, if I recollect correctly. And uh, yeah, for the last season. Yeah. Yeah, I believe so. And he had me back like for five out of eight, nine episodes or whatever. That's and, uh, really fucking cool, man. And it, you know, again, very small, nothing parts, but I was thrilled because I was actually walking onto a real functioning film set it was a tv show but it was a it was a set you know and uh and i got to really if you will meet and and interact with a lot of great folks on that show like sherry j wilson nia peoples uh, a lot of folks that gave me a lot of advice plus then you're also taking some of the things that you you're learning in acting classes and you're kind of even though you're just doing these bit parts you're 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 able to look at the technical side of it and you're actually watching other actors who been in the business for a long time and you're able to kind of you know put everything together now this is how it really comes together okay Mm. and uh so that i was very thankful for and then from there on i I did a few other over the i guess from 01 to 05 i was doing those bit parts and uh i worked with heather locklear and blair underwood on this short-lived nbc series called uh lax oh i do i remember that show yeah yeah, and uh, again, bit parts. But here's the thing: in '05, in 2005, uh, I actually threw a kind of a series of, of I don't know, circumstances. You know, listen, I think every actor gets that first 
principal role, it, it seems like through a series of unexpected meetings with people that, you know, it's just like lightning, you know, you're lucky enough to have lightning strike and you happen to be there, right? And uh, I got this script after meeting uh, a young director named Gerald Knott, N-O-T-T. -T. He was about to do his first feature-length film entitled The Quick and the Undead. Okay. Uh, shooting out in L.A., and he gave me a script, and he expressed that he and his team were interested in me uh, for, uh, to, play, to play the bad guy, the lead bad guy in the film called nice. Boy. And uh, I read the script, and it was a cheesy zombie western kind of film. And, <laughs> but, you know, listen, I, I thought, fuck hell, you know, I, I want to do this. Yeah. <laughs> so I got that part. They flew me out. And suddenly, you know, I leave Texas and I, I walk onto a, a film set where they're actually shooting, you know, um, on an actual the, the movie ranch where they had rented the locations. And it's all equipped, you know, for filmmaking. And there's a like a 50 person crew. Jeez. <laughs> you know? oh. Our DP was actually Scott Peck, who was at that time, he was doing a lot of uh, uh, DP work for the Sci Fi Channel on various. Okay. And uh, I was intimidated as I was. I was. I was intimidated as hell. Okay, because again, even though I'd done the bit parts, and even though I'd actually, you know, had the training or whatever, you know, your first role is, man, when you step out there and there's 40 people and lights and the big Panavit or Panavision cameras, it's like there's. I just remember being scared shitless that first day. I imagine. <laughs> but we did the film, and. Uh, Probably less than six months afterwards, I got a call that Anchor Bay Entertainment had picked the film up for domestic release. That's awesome. And they were actually screening it uh, on Hollywood Boulevard at Mann's, what was then Mann's Theater. Wow. Uh, and it was I think it was screening as part of the L.A. Film Fest. It had been selected. And uh, so... I'm flown back out to LA and suddenly I'm getting to go into that this you know legendary theater to yeah. see this albeit cheesy zombie western we did it's playing where hey all the footprints of all these people that as a kid I watched in those black and white movies were you see that's pretty awesome it's like a whole like uh, full circle almost for you scenario I told my wife that night I said if nothing else good ever happens to me you know <laughs> hey this is great, and uh, but luckily, after that film, there came the Flesh Keeper. There came the a lot of other keeper. films, and I ended up playing bad guys for a long time, uh, which unintentionally, or that's that was just you didn't mind. Well, I think what happens is you know <clears throat> I played the snarling kind of bad guy and Quick and the Undead, and and I have to say too about Quick and the Undead, it got picked up and dubbed in German, Japanese, Taiwanese, became mm. global, and I still get a lot of you know fan mail for that film through facebook etc and people people over in sweden and other places watch it and i've seen I've, I've, you know listen there's nothing more entertaining than to see yourself dubbed okay <laughs> oh yeah because you know they, they 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 get the uh the people to do the dubbing and and you know you, you don't not, you have no control over that i mean obviously and what what i find entertaining is every time i see any one of these films I've done dubbed, uh, there's always this voice that's like, <laughs> 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 it's like, you know, it's a big, 
big, you know, guy that you know with a deep, deep kind of bass voice, and it, so it's entertaining to, to watch, even if it, you know, even if you don't realize or understand what the hell they're saying. <laughs> but uh, I, uh, I actually have uh, two two interesting questions. One is I did not know you were in this film, um, but I did see this film. Uh, the film was called Chillerama. Yeah, I was in the film. You were you were in one of the weirder. Yes. Of the of the three films there that were four oh, yeah. films that was in it, yeah, he was a he was in a film called uh, I was a teenage wear bear. Yeah, yeah. Be perfectly honest about this thing, you know. I was thrilled to be a part of it. Uh, it was good. It was. Am. It just so, threw me for a loop when I, when I was like, "What the hell is this? What is what is a wear bear?" I met Tim Sullivan uh-huh. uh, at a convention, and he said, "I'm doing this film," and. Uh, <laughs> So I go out and I play, you know, uh, Superintendent Ackerman, you know, and I got to work with Lynn Shea. Nice. You know, Lynn is one of those actresses whose work I've always admired. I always say that Lynn Shea, you know, we thankfully we've seen her in the uh, Insidious films now, you know. Yeah, yeah. Theatrical play. But listen, Lynn's been acting for, for decades. And to watch this lady work and create her characters and, and, and to be able to have conversations with her about that approach and, and as actors I think you know for me anyway you draw from other people's if you will uh, tidbits of wisdom that they give you advice and Lynn is awesome and she had much much advice specific to how she went about creating her characters and uh, and they coincided somewhat with the way I create my characters you know you learn as you go you know, you you take the classes, but you also evolve and learn more what works for you. Right, right, right. Uh, but yeah, we spent a gosh, I think five days out on Malibu Beach. Nice. Shooting that in five days, and uh, well, and Grant, here's the thing: there's a plethora of people. I've done conventions here in Texas. I've done them, you know, gosh, Atlantic City. LA, you name it, and people always bring a copy of Chillerama up, and it'll be full up with all these signatures. I always liked that movie. It was very good. It was, it was, it was. Kyle, I don't, I know you haven't seen it, but it was, it was like a, uh, uh, like one of those old school where they did like four short films, and you can, oh yeah, and they're all different, yeah. Oh, like VHS. Uh, like yeah, but this one, the Teenage Werebear, what it is. <laughs> <laughs> uh, basically, oh, it is um, bear is re- is is referencing a uh, uh, a big uh, gay man. A big gay man, yeah, yeah. So I, I, I yeah. Will tell you, I, you know, I was gonna I say that. Didn't know what a good. bear was? I didn't know what bear bear meant. Oh yeah, bear community is heavy in uh, Fruit Loop down here. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah. It's, it's pretty big down here. Big biker but, man. But, but here's the deal, you know. I mean, listen, I, I'm not prejudiced against any group. You know? Oh no, neither are we. No, and uh, but. I didn't know what Where Bear meant, and when I read the script, I, I figured it out, obviously. Right, yeah. But I thought, you know, it really kind of, you know, for me, I thought I, it was an entertaining, certainly. Oh, it segment. was it was great. And, and here's what else I thought, you know. I thought, you know, with all the, because we hear so much about the kids out there that are being picked on and harassed and bullied. Right. Because of their sexual orientation. Um it meant something to me, you know, no matter how, you know, small my contribution to that segment might have been, I thought, you know, this is something that at least maybe I can contribute to that in some way might, if you will, help 
those kids out there that are having to go through and endure a lot of heartache just because of their sexual orientation. I mean, right. I the stories about the kids that commit suicide, you know, mm. because the parents either don't accept or their friends in school don't accept, you know. They don't support them. And I think, it's, I think, I think that's really sad, you know. Um, so I really enjoyed being a part of that. The irony is when we were filming it, we actually did encounter this. Uh, we were filming it. We had, you know, Tim and, and his team had set up, if you will, everything, the filming permits, et cetera, to shoot at this, if you will, park there that kind of, you know, it sits there on a stretch of the Malibu Beach, okay? Right. And uh, there was this one park ranger who found out we were shooting and what the content really was about. This guy gave us hell. He did everything he could to shut us down, you know. Uh, luckily, he was unsuccessful. Mm-hmm. He was then followed by uh, by another park ranger that came on duty who basically said, oh, that guy's a jerk. Ignore him, you know. But I, we kind of, I, I saw firsthand the prejudice that existed there even, okay, mm-hmm. which kind of took me aback because, you know, you just don't, I don't know, I didn't expect to actually witness it but I'm glad the film was made and I, I'm proud to have been a part of it and uh, when they bring me the Chillerama you know, Blu-ray or whatever and ask me to sign it I, yeah. I sign it with pride because <laughs> yeah it's something that uh, it entertains and it's yes it's off, off it's offbeat it's it, it's gross and, and it's uh, <laughs> it's deliberately gross in it's depiction of certain gore moments okay right 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 but it's it's meant to be but it's done in a way that's tongue-in-cheek and quite frankly it's, it's funny okay yeah. and uh but i'm really surprised and taken aback still how much that segment means to so many people and i'm thankful to have been a part of it because of that that's really cool yeah, the, the other thing I wanted to ask you was, um, there's a movie that you're in, I have not seen it yet, but I am going to look for it because, you know, I'm a, a big metal guy, I listen to a lot of metal music, uh, Rum is as well, um, I don't know if you really listen to a lot of metal music there, uh, Kyle? Uh, I know you listen to some, but... You mean like with, with metal instruments? No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, with metal instruments. Steel drums. That's yeah, yeah, yeah. I like, I like no, uh, Blue Man Group. But he has a movie called Hair Metal, Hair Metal Shotgun Zombie Massacre. Whoa. And I don't know what it is, but let me tell you something. That'll be, I have to go buy that right away. That's a lot. That's a lot happening. You know, that, that one, that, that film was, was a kick to do. It, it was actually a, a throwback to the old 80s, you know, Black Roses. That's so what I was thinking. Yeah, it was like an 80s metal band thing. You know, I'm just really thrilled that it's gotten all these like really kick-ass reviews from famous monsters of Filmland, and they, you know they they all really kind of they exalt it. They compare it to those films, and they say they love it. And uh, I was a bit intimidated actually initially uh, yeah. to do the film because it is a horror comedy. Horror and, comedy. Uh, I play huh. a character named Bob Bastard, who's <laughs> he's kind of like I don't know. Uh, he's just one of those, like a Keith Richards kind of guy. Okay? okay, I mean, only Bob hasn't cleaned up his act as much as Keith, <laughs> you know. Um, and Bob is is a guy who basically he's he's washed out. He's a he snorts, he drinks, he's so fucked up. He's puking on everybody, you know. Mm. Um, 
and all in the middle of this zombie apocalypse thing. And uh, so, but it was comedic. And so, as an actor, I'd never done comedy. Right. And uh, always, it's always horror. So having to deal with horror well, with yeah. comedy is something new. Horror is drama, you know. Okay. Suddenly, if you're doing comedy, you've got to both be the actor and with comedy there's timing okay? right and uh i was i was intimidated because i thought hell you know what if i can't do this um but once i got on set that first night just got into the character and the timing sort of came naturally and it was fun it was a uh, it was a cold shoot god we shot that thing in 20 degree weather the entire shoot. but it was a it was a good time you know it was directed by josh vargas and you know, we had a lot of good folks uh, working on the film. It was it was a it was a kick. It was, and I think you'll like it. I mean, because again, it featured a lot of uh, you know a lot of uh, talent from the heavy metal world. And, uh, yeah. Is there something out there now that uh, like if you're in a lot of the movies and everything, everything, but if you're just out and about, is there something in uh, out that you would just go, hey, I, I saw this. This is something that you know something that you would pick up. You know, for your personal collection right now, is there something out there that? Well, I mean, what type of horror? Are okay, you know, it, yeah, I basically yes. There's a film entitled Hush. Okay. Oh my God. We were actually just are talking about that. Really? I just finished watching that today. Oh man. And, and I have yet to see it, and I really want to. Oh, to see that is so. It is so good. You know, and and see what I loved about Hush was. It took the, I don't know if you guys actually have seen the old classic films like Wait Until Dark or sure. uh, one entitled See No Evil with Mia Farrow back in, May, right. back in 1970, I think, or 71, somewhere thereabouts. And, uh, you know, again, it, it takes that same premise. In See No Evil, Mia Farrow was a blind oh. young lady mm. who was in the house with a kill, okay? And you've got that same premise. Hush, she's a deaf. And uh, so I love the way they set the entire story. Oh, so that they let the audience in on the fact that you this guy has broken into the house before the character of the deaf young lady ever knows it. So it's like the old Hitchcock approach, you know? Right, Hitchcock, right, right, right. He's about yeah, to Hitchcock enjoy this. He's about to have fun. On, on the secret. You know, he would say the best way to ring an audience as far as suspense is you show two people sitting at a table. You pan the camera down and show a time bomb set to go off in five minutes underneath the table. But the two people talking aren't aware of it, but the audience is. The audience knows it's there. And you show that clock counting down from five, four, two to one minute. And you cut intermittently back and forth between the two people having the conversation and the time bomb. And the audience is, is at that point doing what? They're talking to the screen. Right. Get out of there. Get the bomb. Get the fuck out, right? Yeah, exactly. Oh, yes. You get so much of that yeah. in this and movie because she can't hear shit. <laughs> she can't hear. And and so you, you really want to say, oh. look behind you, Jesus, you know? Oh, and, man. So much happened in you that. You know, it, it's just it's such a weird coincidence that you brought that film up because... You know, Kyle just said, "You gotta see this movie. You gotta see it. Like, it was so good. Like they show, they show little, um, I guess little, little, uh, like little trinket. Us, well, there would something would happen to where you would know that a hey, this is gonna be used later in the movie. 
Oh, gotcha. Like, yeah. like right. this is going to be a big part. Like of Easter the eggs. Movie. Yeah, something like that. You know, they showed a lot of those, and you're like, oh, my God, I wonder what this What's is going to be happen? used for. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. wonder how this is going to be used. You know, they do, they did a lot of those, and I was like, man, well, I can't wait. They relied, they relied more on suspense. Now, yes. It, it had a few gore moments. Make no mistake. It had yeah, not it, got real, it got real bloody. It, I was like, ooh, ooh, crushed. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I like those films that, yes, offer up the gore effects, but I also like suspense leading up to the gore. Effects. Oh yeah, like, especially like um, you got to have the build to get the, the build. Yes. Right, like 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 the original Alien and uh, the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Those well, movies were I'm, I'm actually awesome. Just finished watching something pretty good, um, and it was uh, called The Molten Poppy. Mm. Yeah, it was it was actually really good. It's actually part of a series called Wolf Blood. Blaine, are you familiar with it? I cannot believe you brought that shitty show up. <laughs> you know, parents, you have to excuse him. Um, he's he's actually he actually has a problem. He has an addictive personality, and he latches on to things. And he latched has latched on to this uh, Wolf Blood TV show. That's a uh, I believe it's Irish rum. Yeah, it's like Irish UK shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he—he's trying to get me to watch it. I mean, I'll tell you, I'm a big fan of. I do horror films. I've always loved horror films, but I also love a good drama, a good film noir. Oh yeah! Oh yeah! Oh yeah! You know, I'm going to be the first to admit, I will sit down with my wife on occasion. And she will uh, like watch one of the old classics, like uh, which you got like a summer place, which is a cheesy kind of love story <laughs> melodrama made back in the fifties, for example. And you know what? I enjoy them. Okay, that's really cool. You know, I, I I look at those films and I think, wow, they were shot so very well, and the acting was grade A, and you know they didn't have effects and they didn't have nudity. They did. They were right. able to show the things back then that we see now and take oh man today we could you know you could basically say anything you want on television you can basically see every part of a person on television now it doesn't matter but these older films you understand the actors and the storyline both they had to create the image without showing it to you you bet and if you go back and watch the old uh and i know i don't want to i know you guys don't like and i won't get off on this for long but if you watch the old film made in 1946, The Postman Always Rings Twice. That's a great film, by the way. I was yeah. actually in that that play. <laughs> he was in, he was in that movie. No, uh, I was in the movie. I was in the play when I was in school. <laughs> you know, Lana Turner, John Garfield. Okay, you watch that 1946 version and compare it to the 81 version with Jack Nicholson. Right. Playing. Now, the, the 81 version definitely showed you in much more graphic detail, you know, the passion, the sex, etc., but I can go and watch the 46 version, and I feel like I've seen more passion and sex in that one. Yeah. Garfield and Turner, they kind of just exuded this repressed need for each other, right? Right. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was something, I don't know, innately more, I felt, you know, uh, sexy about Lana Turner than Jessica Lange, okay? And, uh, yeah. yeah. So that, that's, that. you know, my thing. So. I like really all all different sorts of films, all different types of genres. I really do. Come on, you can't tell me you didn't get excited when you got to see Jessica Lange's boob in King Kong. <laughs> <laughs> hey, when, when that film came out, I, I was very young. Yes, yeah, so, you know, I was like, I think, I, I don't know, boobage. 14, 14, Hell yeah, boobage. See, boob came out. Everybody was like, look, there's a boob. You bet. That's the number one thing I would look for, twelve, 
that was number one. Number two was the cover of the movie. Right. When I go, go to the movie store looking for something to rent, oh. back when you did that. Uh, we 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 actually had a past guest that worked with her, and uh, he worked on American Horror Story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, of course, we asked that question. <laughs> you know, did you get to see her boobs? <laughs> I, I, uh, my friend Joe Don Baker, he actually worked with Jessica on uh, Cape Fear. Oh, nice. Yeah. And, uh, That's a great film. I, I could tell you some stories about Jessica, but uh, yeah, she, yeah. They're, they're, <laughs> they're, uh, I, I don't want to say too much. Right, you don't want to you don't want to ruin she, your she, image. I, I understand. She's a wild, wild lady when she wants to be. She she can be a, uh, I'm told a, a handful, uh, a difficult person yeah right? oh, yeah the scene with so you know that's that's maybe just part of you know her professionalism i'm gonna look eh, at that. that sounds like a good good way to let it go uh <laughs> all right so i know you uh you know, people i don't i didn't say this at the very beginning but um i'm gonna say it now but parish is was was in the film circus of the dead i mean i mean we've talked a little bit about it um and our friend billy has been you know, gracious enough to let us, you know, get in touch with all his actors and have have everybody come on the show. You know, and um, we're actually trying to work out something where Billy brings the film down here and does like a a, a showing. So, you know, absolutely, he should. You know, because ultimately, you know, what what circus has been refer, you know, compared to? Excuse me, uh, they a lot of people have compared Circus of the Dead to the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which right, you know. Got, you know, I take as as wow, the old honor. It is know, a big compliment. A uh, big compliment because, truthfully, I, you know, I was really close friends with Marilyn Burns, the late Marilyn Burns, and uh, you know, Marilyn was one of those super magical kind souls. Okay. Yeah. And uh, when I was doing circus, it was only. Literally a year prior to her death, but uh, damn, you know when I would have those scenes, which Wayne, you you seen the film? Oh yes, yes. Where my character Don had to go through some torturous experiences. Uh, Yeah, let's let's put it at that. (laughs) And uh, you know, Marilyn would call me nearly every night because she had read the script, and she said, "When are you shooting that scene?" And I'd tell her, and so we would talk, and she would give me a lot of uh, a lot of tips. That's awesome. Tips. But, you know, Marilyn, the big regret I have is that she never got to see Circus. Wow, uh, that sucks. Literally, she passed away a month before we were both to do MonsterCon together. Oh, Monster man. MonsterCon. We had it set up so that but she was going to actually, I was going to bring my screener and we were going to, she, my wife, and I we were going to watch it in the hotel. And, you know, and uh, she didn't live to see the film. And she actually told me this great story that she had her favorite horror films had always been set in circuses because she remembered when she was a little girl, her dad took her to the drive-in, her and her brother and the family, to see the old film. And I, and I can't recall, I think it was called Circus of Blood or something like that, had Donald Pleasance in it. And uh, so she always loved horror films set in a circus if you will, so uh, yeah, that that's a, a sideline note, and I know I ramble a bit. No, that's okay. I mean, we uh, that's, that's what that's what our show is for. It's, mm-hmm. it's to get you to ramble. But, we like it. But you know, cir- circus was a film that, again, doing it, 
it was one that because the character of Don was so different, he was a guy who basically, at the beginning of the, of the film, he has the beautiful wife and the two kids, and but he's not really happy, okay? Right. Uh, he's a guy that basically he feels trapped in a small town, and he feels that you know he's tied down with the family, and he really wants something bigger and better out of life. And then this horrific occurrence, you know, yeah yeah and uh, you know i always bring this up on the show is because uh and, and it doesn't matter what who I, who we're talking to and i these guys can tell you there's a scene in this film <laughs> that i said will be probably one of the most noted scenes in horror history Uh-oh. and it's the taxidermy scene Oh yeah! Oh yeah! You know what? You know what I'm talking. I never say any more than that because I don't want anybody to. I want people to be surprised when they see that, because it definitely is a testament to to. Okay, Billy Pond and Lee Ankrum wrote the screenplay. Yes. And that scene, along with you know, I think the entire storyline is a testament to the fact that those two guys they wanted to write a screenplay that I don't know that was unique and different you know uh from anything else that the genre has seen oh yeah and uh you know because i mean let's face it you know the horror genre just like the comedy genre the drama action genres whatever you know films tend to kind of cut and paste yeah they become it's kind of like you see this film and you say well the same similar things happened in the last 10 action films or the last 10 whatever and billy and lee wanted to write a screenplay that that would be its own unique kind of story that would offer up something that people didn't expect that they hadn't seen before and uh i think in a in a number of ways that film delivers that to audiences and i think that's why audiences really react to it as well as they do uh whether it be the visceral kind of you know shock of what you're talking about wayne yeah or whether it just be the overall storyline, you know, right. you don't really know where it's going. It takes you on these twists and turns. It, uh, it does. It's it's all over the place. It really is. Just and, when you think you kind of have it figured out, you know how it's going to end. Yeah. It slaps you in the face and punches you right in the gut. It's like yeah. I really can't mm-hmm. wait uh, to either, have, like I said, to have Billy come out here so these guys can actually see the film because they've heard me talk about it so much, and. Or or have it finally come out on DVD so I can get a copy and we can all watch it here, <laughs> you know? Yeah, you know, I, I think, I, I, you know, I think you, if you are into that kind of very uh, extreme horror, and, and when I say extreme horror, you know, listen, I, some people have compared it to, uh, oh, God, I'm going blank on the name of the film because I didn't watch it. It wasn't Martyrs, but it was the, uh, oh, hell, the, the, the film where... Uh, they tell me there's a scene in this other film, foreign film, where a guy actually, you know, I don't know how to say this, really, uh, that he actually rapes a, a baby or something. There's some horrible scene. Oh, my God. What is it? What is this movie? That sounds like a foreign film. Well, no, it's a horror film, and, and you know, it, it's horrific, and I heard all these things, and I'm like, I'm not going to watch it, right? Is it? Is it the, uh, what is it, the something film, uh, the... Uh Shit, the Slovakian film or something like that, or yeah, a something film that was it. Yeah, a Serbian, a Serbian, Serbian film. Yeah, that, Serbian. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I, I've heard about this film. I have never and seen see, it. 
you know, of course, they say, well, you can tell that the baby is like a rubber doll. But, you know, here's my thing. I, you know, oh, what? <laughs> here's my thing. When I hear of a, a film with content like that, to be honest, I mean, and, and listen, if people watched it and, and, and enjoyed it for the roller coaster ride it was, you know, I totally respect that, okay? But for me, anything that depicts those type of scenes with kids to that degree, I, no, I don't. I, 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 that's, I, a, that's a little much. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, now, I, and I'll watch shit like the, the Human Centipede, you know. I, I, yeah, right, right. So when it was compared to the, a Serbian film, you know, I, of course, I'm thinking, no. You know, it, it doesn't have any scenes like the one I just described to you guys. <laughs> right. As it was described to me by others that had seen the film. and uh, But it does have those scenes that, again, that push the envelope like the one you're talking about. Right, well, right. I, th- I think that the, the Serbian film, it is a... Um, the, 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 the director and the screen the screenplay writers, they, they wanted not so much to create a film that everybody should go see. They were, I think, catering to an extremely... They knew this. They, right, wanted, right. they wanted a very niche market... Right, uh, and hopefully the buzz alone would get them the spotlight one way or another. Right, have other people to go watch it. And yeah, I totally right. understand that. I do, and, I, and listen, I respect all filmmakers and and their art, and I understand. You know, listen. So they made a film, hoping to get enough attention to perhaps gain enough notoriety that someone would award them a larger budget for the next film. I mean, that, that that's part of the business, right? Right, right. But as a viewer, it's just more than I can handle. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right, right. Um, yeah. I mean, there, there's a scene, and in, in, I don't know if you've seen it, but Human Centipede 2, that, that kind of made me, uh, you know, just feel uncomfortable. Yeah, I, uh, I've not seen Human Centipede 2, I saw. Shit, dude, I, 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 I get squeamish at the end of Braveheart. <laughs> oh yeah, when they gut him. Oh yeah, that's oh, pretty bad. Dude, oh. you know, that, that, the gore doesn't bother me at all. You know, I mean, I grew up watching these these films. I grew up and I the golden the golden age of the slasher film. You know, come on, Friday the Thirteenth. Oh yeah, all those great films and The Prowler. You name it. Gore I doesn't watch those all day. Yeah, but when when I don't know, I have this real aversion to any film where 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 kids are depicted as being harmed i, I can't sure. it's kind of it's it's a i don't know it's, it's almost it's like, like a social experiment they're doing to people you know like let's see how far we can really push these people i think yeah. there's just a moral line that a lot of people just won't cross and some and, will and, uh, and, i'm not and, one of them you know i'm just i'm just one <laughs> that i can't watch that kind of thing because it really upsets me okay i'm not gonna lie i just i don't want to walk out of a film angry that's i hate that. yeah. <laughs> yeah i hate getting no. pissed off I don't want to pay. Kind of like, kind of like when I went to see Batman and Robin. Right. Yeah, I don't want to walk in there and get so pissed off that when I get out, I just want to punch people in the parking lot. Right. But Circus of the Dead, it doesn't, it doesn't go to those extremes. No. Uh-huh. It's considered an extreme shocker film because of its brutality. Okay. Right. Um, and those unique, if you will, approaches to. <laughs> Depicting brutality. Uh, right. Yeah. Uh, some scenes that you haven't seen before, right? Yeah, uh, exactly. Horror films. I will tell you that, you know, for me, the scenes where I'm, I'm tied up, I'm tortured, I'm, I'm kind of put through hell uh, by the circus clowns who are, 
who are psycho and mean and that, that well they are that they are typical class. They're serial killing <laughs> people who happen to hide behind the clown makeup. Okay, right. Serial killers and uh, the lead clown played by Bill O'Burst Jr. and he did a magnificent job. Popcorn. Uh, you know, let's face it. I mean. Popcorn describes himself as a serial, a serial killing necrophiliac clown, you know, I think, or something to that effect. Yeah, something along those lines. Yeah, he played it to the hilt. And uh, But there was that scene in the clown trailer, for example, where, you know, Donald, my character, is tied up and he's been drugged. He comes to, this is just after, after discovering a horrific scene at his house and he realizes his kids have been kidnapped and... His wife has fell victim in a horrible way to the clowns. Uh, and uh, Papa Corn comes in, and, and Don has to just really just, you know, break and free. Because he's, 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 he's filled with rage and anger and, if you will, uh, emotional, if you will, he's turned to, into an uh, emotional wreck, okay? Oh, yeah. Kind of a combination of all these emotions. So when we were shooting that scene, and this... I'm going to go back and talk about kind of just being an actor for, for a moment. You find out what works for you. And I said earlier in the interview, and you use that, right? Right. And my approach to acting is acting is never acting. You know, you make it real. It's got to be real. Uh, so for me, I, I create the whole backstory for the character. And then for those scenes where you have the emotion, whether it's rage or whether it's the tears or, or a combination of both in one scene, you've got to reach back in your mind and find that thing that really happened to you personally in your lifetime. And you go over that in your head over and over again until you rip yourself raw so that when those cameras roll, you then really are able to just think of that moment and you break. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, when we were shooting the scene, I guess it was probably, I don't know, eight, nine, 10 hours if you will, in this little room where uh, basically it was a uh, soundstage uh, for the trailer interior. But, uh, you know, you do five, six, seven different takes, you know, per camera setup, okay? And once you actually have the break for the next setup, because, I mean, you guys know how films are made, right? I mean, you're going you're gonna to get the medium shot, the close shot over my shoulder, over Popcorn's shoulder in that scene. Right. And so there's several different angles, and, of course, then in editing and post, that's when they cut them all together, and you, it, you they make a movie. You know? Yeah. Uh, but the camera breaks and resets generally take, you know, quite a while. And uh, when they would break for that scene, you know, everybody else would leave. And, and Billy and, and everyone asked me, he said, we, we can, because I was like taped to Yeah, you, you were taped to a chair or something. Uh, yeah. And uh, they asked me if I, you know, if I would like to, you know, they would cut me loose and, you know, they could redo the tape, whatever. And, and I was like, no, leave me, you know, because, it, you know, while everybody would go and, you know, they go to craft service. Kind of relax a few minutes, you know. My thing was, I wanted to stay in that moment. I wanted to, to to hear them laughing and eating, and because as Don, that's what he was going through. He felt trapped, and I wanted to feel trapped, and it really <laughs> works. Yeah, you had to have the emotional pull to it. Yeah, and uh, it's very messy. So, so it really, truly, you know, 
circus for me was both a godsend in the form of a really good role, and also it was a a true kind of you know it was a challenge. That's that I, awesome. You know, for me as an actor, but it was also, and then it turned into to what I call a really great learning experience. Again, for me as an actor, okay, being able to again further assemble that bag of tricks that enabled me to give these emotions or do what I needed to do, you know? Right. Um, anyway, I, I know I ramble on about that shit. <laughs> but it's, it's, it's really okay. cool it's really you're, awesome. You're, you've been a part of this um, growing, and it's going to be around for a while, so, uh, cult phenomenon. It's just really, really, really cool. And uh, Well, I really think that, again, every good film, it, you know, it starts with a good screenplay. Okay, and so the film itself, what it is, storyline-wise, etc., you can attribute that to Billy Pond and to Lee Ankrum, you know, as screenwriters. You know, someone once said, for every uh, classic film, you know, there are several films that we hail as classic, whether it's Citizen Kane or whether it's Dark Victory or any of those films that you guys probably have never heard of or don't care about. Oh, no, I've heard of them. <laughs> okay, okay. Anyway, bottom line. For every one of those films named in the top 100 best films ever made, and we're talking dating back to the 30s, 40s, and 50s, you know, there was a great screenwriter behind each and every one of them. Oh, definitely. And then a great director, and then the actors, okay? Because you understand, the actors are brought in and cast in these films after the story, after the director, you know. So we, we have, some people say, oh, wow, you know, as an actor, you know, you have a challenging job. And yes, there are certain things, like I said, that were challenging to me on Circus. You know, the emotion and figuring out the best ways I could bring that. But I feel like, you know, listen, by the time the actors are brought on board, we're lucky in that if we've got a good screenplay and we've got a great director, which Billy Pond certainly is a, and I'll say this, a great director, then, you know what, guys, I mean, we as actors, we're, we're coming on board and, and, not, and I don't know. I look at it like, you know, 90% of the, the work is done for us if we've got a, a great screenplay and a really great director. And we had that with Circus. That's fantastic. Yeah, but don't sell yourself short because you really do, in the roles that you do, you sell it. Yes. If You can have great writing, but if... if but if the acting's sit, terrible. If the actors don't sell it, you know. Well, I, and I appreciate you saying that. You know, I'm one of those people that, you know, listen, I, I watch myself on screen and I never think that I... I never think I do well enough. I mean, I, I think that's a good thing. I, you know, I, again, I, I talk to a lot of other actors who feel the same way. You know, I think if you're ever able to watch yourself in any film and actually find that you're satisfied with your work, then you'll you'll begin to suck at what you do. That's true. Okay? Because if you watch yourself as I do and as most actors do, and, and, and you just, you find yourself saying, damn, I should have held that a beat longer, or I should have done this or that, mm-hmm. or brought this new well, one. It's the it's the truth in any any aspect because uh, as of me being in a band and Rum has been in bands and and Kyle's a comedian, mm-hmm. so if you're you're always going to be your worst critic no matter what yeah. you do. And as long as you are, whether you're the actor, whether you're the musician, singer, whatever, you know what you always strive to be better. Exactly, you don't want to become complacent on what you're doing okay. because you know deep down inside you can always do something just a little bit better. You can't grow. You've got to grow and evolve, right? And if you you think, hey, I, I 
this is good enough, then suddenly you'll quit growing. And uh, I think that's when you when you see evolving and growing as an artist or as a human being or, or any whatever you do, I think you you know that's death for you professionally, um, and certainly you know as a, as just a person. I mean, God, Jesus, you know. I think as we grow older, we gain wisdom, we evolve, we grow, and you know, I, I myself, I appreciate that fact. A lot of actors hate to age; they don't want to grow older. You know, hell, I'm thinking it's, it certainly beats the hell out of the alternative. You know? Yeah, really. And as long as you do take, if you will, the passage of time, combined with your career, combined with just living life, and try to learn from it and, and grow each day, then hey. Then that that's a, that's a blessing. That's a good. Hell thing. yeah. That's a good. Uh, I, I have one more thing about Billy's work. Uh, I know you did uh, Lucky Jack with him. Yes. Uh, yes. I I actually was privileged enough to get to watch it. Uh, he, <laughs> I haven't uh, seen it yet. So. He um he uh, I got to watch it and uh, it's fantastic. It's a, it's a short film, but it's really good. I enjoyed the hell out of it. I actually uh. You know, when Billy sent me the script, that he, you know, he asked me if I, if uh, if I'd, I'd, I'd come out and do this film, the short film. I'm like, absolutely, because you know, to work for Billy again. Let me explain. Again, being treated so very well on the Circus of the Dead set, and then the subsequent months that followed. You know, listen, Billy and I became friends, and Billy is someone who. He is a great director, but he's a great guy and a great friend as well. Right, I agree. Uh, and I trust Billy completely with any project that that, that he may do. Okay. Yeah. Um, so when he contacted me about Lucky Jack, I read the script and I said I'm there. So he booked my flight, flew me out, and we shot that short film over a weekend. Okay, in this really cool theater. <laughs> in Odessa, Texas, called the Ector. Yeah, I had asked him about that. I was like, man, did you guys shoot that in an actual movie theater? He's like, yeah, yeah. we did. And, and this theater, it, it, it's reminiscent of anyone's, if you, we think back, if you're old enough, most small towns had a small town theater many right. years ago. They've all gone now because they kind of gave way to the multiplexes in larger metropolitan areas. Well, well, the ones out here are kind of like, uh, Kyle will be familiar with this, with like the Sanger Theater. It's, uh, it's like, it's along those lines, you know, like the Sanger and uh, State Palace. It's, it's the it's the old, uh, they do like plays and stuff now there, but it used to be where they did films and it's the old guard, you know, it's basically, that's where they're falling apart now. Right. The, the actor, it, it's reminiscent of those, those, you know, if you will, independently owned, one-screen, small-town right. theaters. And uh, so, you know, we shot the scene in Circus in that theater as well, if you recall. Yes, uh, yes. And so, Lucky Jack takes place in its entirety within that, again, that theater, the auditorium, the projection room, you name it. And I got to play that character that was the owner. <laughs> that was and, awesome. Uh, yeah, and he was, uh, he had a few bad habits. Okay? A, a few, a few, yeah. And uh, the only scene that I, you know, listen, I got to tell you, I question was, you know, uh, the dance scene. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, okay, I, you know, I'm thinking, I'm going to go and then, you know, the dance scene's going to involve, you know, I don't know, you know, I didn't realize it was going to, but for Billy, 
I did the dancing. It was awesome. It was great. <laughs> it was great, man. <laughs> you have to see the damn film to know what I'm talking about, right? Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, and yeah, Billy will shoot me. But uh, yeah, it was it was it was a it was a good weekend, a good time, and I don't know. You know, I hear that the actor itself is in jeopardy now. Yeah, that's what he told me. And, and, you know, I really hope somebody saves it because it's a shame to see all these great old movie theaters, you know, destroyed. You know, they're abandoned, they fall to ruin, or they're demolished, you know. And I just, I hate to see that happen because there's so much history. Well, I was going to say, you're losing history there. And it's just, it's it's what's going to happen, though. I mean, all they're going to do is knock it down and put, like, one of those big cineplexes that have, like, 75 screens. and Yeah, yeah. You know. And, you know, I'm, I'm lucky enough that where my wife and I live in Texas, you know, there's less than an hour away, there's a five-screen drive-in theater. Really? Yeah, it actually, uh, oh, God, they built it. I guess it's probably, I don't know, 10, 12 years ago. And, uh, but um, we, we go there quite often. What, what part of Texas? Uh, I live near, well, actually, I live just actually south of Dallas. South so, of Dallas. Oh, okay, so you're not too far from when the uh, convention was. I got you. Right. And uh, to be honest, I mean... You can go to the drive-in, and it's such a nostalgic, you know, experience uh, because you drive in there, and you know, listen to be in that, you know, parking lot where you view that movie from your car. Okay. Yeah. You see people that they they bring their cots or fold down whatever, <laughs> and or some will like back their trucks in and then pop the tailgate down, and they have like. A smorgasbord of food. That's awesome. Okay? <laughs> you know, and it's almost like tailgating for a movie. It is. It is. And you know, you see a double feature on on each screen, whichever you know movie you happen to choose to go to. You know, there's a double feature for the price of one. I don't know. I think a lot of people. I've got you know, again, I've got family members that are younger, and I've had people approach me at the conventions who are younger who've never been to a drive-in. And I'm telling them, hey, you're, you don't know what you're missing. You know, come on. Look, I've only been in one drive-in when I was probably like five years old or you six years old. drive-ins? Right, right. Around here, no. Mm. Nothing around here. Everything was destroyed. Sonic's is the closest. Yeah, Son- Sonic is our closest drive-in. <laughs> I grew up uh, I used to ride my bicycle through the, through the woods and uh, get to the top of, uh, there was a, uh, a good-sized hill. And the driving was right below, so I used to spend a lot of time sitting up there and then tuning my my radio to try right, to find right. the frequency. That's awesome. <laughs> uh, if you went down in the drive-through, they had still had the speakers, you know, that you would put on yeah. the car. Yeah. But they were also offering that, you know, you turn it right. to yep. AM 1040, and you can pick up the sound. That's pretty awesome. And it is awesome. I mean, uh, the, the truth is that, you know, drive-ins were very popular throughout. Obviously, we know the. The, the, well, I think the first drive-in was actually launched in like 1933, somewhere thereabouts. Right. I think I think they really got big in the 50s and 60s. Of children were born in drive-ins. Yeah. Well, that's what I was going to say. I was like, most of us might have been conceived in a drive-in. Yeah. But you know, they all seemed to fall by the wayside. You know, by the early 80s. Yeah. But luckily in Texas, and I think probably throughout the South, there's been this real resurgence of drive-in theaters. Um, New drive-ins are popping up left and right, and, you know, a lot of older folks are going who remember the drive-ins of yesteryear, and then the younger teenagers are going, and they're discovering them for the first time. And I say, you know, when you're a teenager dating, and and hey, it's the truth, where else can you take your, your chick, your girlfriend, 
you, you're going to be in the car with her alone in the dark for like at least for the length of a double feature plus previews. Right. And her parents are okay with that. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. You know? <laughs> so, I mean, you know, and you just say, hey, we want to so you know, I mean, the drive-in is a cool place. But uh, yeah, man. Um, like I said, everything I've ever watched from Oh Billy has been fantastic. I love his cinematography. He's he knows what he wants with the film, and uh, like I'm, I've been really impressed with um, with you actually. To be honest, man, like you're the 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 how you put it, the differences between the two characters from both films big big yeah. difference it's it's amazing man. it's great I that I, I really do it's uh you know as an actor I've, I've always you know i've always said that my goal is to to be able to morph into totally different characters from film to film you know i know there are a lot of actors who, who made you know certainly great careers out of kind of playing themselves okay right you could do covenant a lot of them are iconic. <laughs> David Duchovny. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, but but my <laughs> idea of, of acting is, and, and Belinda Belaski, a great actress who, she played in The Howling, she played in uh, Piranha, a lot of the films. Great movies. You, you bet. Belinda, she and I have talked periodically, and she stated it best. She said, she always, from the point at which she entered the industry, she wanted to play characters. Other people. Character yeah. actress. She said, because if you're one of those people who elect to play yourself, to be that kind of, you know, I, for lack of better phrasing, that star figure who plays him or herself. You right, know, yeah. Film, then, quite literally, I mean, let's face it, with the passage of time, I mean, that can wane, Okay. Uh, but if you're a character actor, then you get to work. You may be in the back seat of the car with the, the iconic, yeah, I don't know, actor, actress in the front seat driving the car. But you know what? The character actor, actress, and this was her her uh, analogy, is always going to get to be in the back seat of that car and be in the movie. You know, that's I mean, true. Yeah. So that's kind of you know, to me, you know. I guess my thoughts on it are simply very similar to hers, and I just find it more interesting to kind of morph into different characters. That's it. Yeah, that's awesome. We get to actually, as actors, you know, truthfully, we get to do a lot of things that are cathartic. I mean, there have been times in my life that if you're really going through a bad time, maybe you're, I don't know, whether you're angry, whether you something tumultuous has occurred in your private life, that would be the best time to play a villain in a horror film. Okay. Oh yeah, for sure. You, you can unleash then, man. You know, uh, unleashing your own anger, your own frustrations. We were we were talking to Rusty Edwards, and uh, that would be a Mr. Blister, and uh, he said uh, we, the question I think Rum asked was <laughs> was how is it to feel to kill somebody on film? No, no, it was Kyle. You asked that question. Mm-hmm. He's like, well, <laughs> it's interesting. <laughs> it's it's you know it's it. I tell people you know. We get paid to play. Right. How lucky are we, right? I mean, we're doing what we love to do. And, you know, and what we love to do is create characters. And, yes, it is work. I mean, you know, a lot of people will come up and say, oh, you know, you must have had great fun playing this part or that part. And, and you know what? I did. But 
at the same time, and Marilyn and I used to talk about this as well, same thing. You always have great fun, but you are also working, okay? You've got a lot of people depending on you to, to show up prepared, to bring the necessary character, the emotion, whatever is required. Uh, your co-actors, the crew, certainly the director. And uh, the game all the time. Yeah, and so it, it, it is work, but it's fun. And you are playing a character. And you're doing what you love to do. Thanks to the acting career, I was able to, able to leave the corporate career behind. Okay? Uh, about seven years ago. And, uh, and I can tell you, I feel much, much, much happier and much more contented and, and uh, I love doing what I do. That's good. That's amazing. And, and you're doing such a good job at it and I, I am going to go see uh, 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 Circus for sure. Well, but I, I want to say this, I, you know, I and wait. I tell <laughs> folks at conventions always, you know, when they come up and, and, and they have you sign the DVD or, or the picture or the poster or whatever, you know, you know, I am super, super appreciative of them. I, I owe my job to those people who watch the films, okay? I work for the, 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 the people who support the films, okay? That's what it's all about. Yeah, for sure. And, uh, man, I, you know, I'm just super thankful. I feel really, I just feel like a lucky bitch. <laughs> <laughs> well... It's true. You well, know? you know, Parrish, uh, I uh, I loved having you on the show. I hate to cut you off, but we're we're over the time. Uh, I told you I talked to you. No, 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 dude. We, really dude, fun. we want you back on for sure. Uh, um, mm-hmm. uh, before we go, uh, you want to plug anything or uh, anything like that beforehand? Yeah, yeah, really quickly, you know. Uh, certainly, watch for Tony Newton's VHS Lives, a documentary. I mean, that's that's the documentary. Uh, that I participated in. Awesome. And also, if you're in the uh, West Texas area, or if you're not and want to fly in, on Friday, July 8th, speaking yes. of Billy Pond, yes. uh, there's a, a tremendous benefit for a very dear friend who lives in the Odessa area, whom I met personally when I worked on uh, Lucky Jack. Tremendous lady, Marilyn Benefil. She's facing some health issues. Uh, there's a benefit. There's going to be like a triple feature of Lucky Jack, Circus of the Dead, and another short film that Billy did with Chanel called The Stork. Which okay. which we all we which we all watched also. <laughs> Fantastic. And uh, and again that's gonna occur uh, on Friday, July eighth at Billy's DEFCON one haunted house. Nice. It's like a ten dollar admission fee and all the proceeds will go towards well, they'll go to Maryland. Right, she, right. She really is uh, is facing some uh, some health issues now that uh, are extreme and we all love her and we want certainly to uh, to show up and uh, do our best to see to it that uh, we can actually help out you know her her future plight in any way possible that's okay. that's fucking awesome guys that, that's so, you know i've been i've been pushing it on on facebook in case any of our listeners or anybody is out there that wants to go to it you know if, 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 they, if they can't get to it and they still uh would like to donate to a good cause is there is there some way they can do that yeah there is actually if you go out there on facebook you can go to my page you can go to billy's page there is a link that you'll find okay um the benefit uh actually it's called it's entitled clowns from maryland okay Clowns from Maryland, and uh, click on that link, and there'll be information, you know, that will uh, 
if you will detail for you how you can contribute. You know, if you can't make it there physically, if you want to contribute, you can do so. And uh, we'd appreciate it. I know Marilyn would too. Yeah, I actually, uh, hopefully, I can uh, get one of them shirts that that Billy was promoting for. I'm, I'm trying to see if I got some extra cash to throw that way because he's got some uh, exclusive shirts for this, and uh, I'm ex- pretty excited about them. Absolutely. And uh, aside from that, you know, watch for Rift. You know, we'll be shooting that. There's also a film I did up in Ohio called Estella's Revenge, Ghostwalk Studios. That'll be yeah, coming your way soon, and. Uh, it's a supernatural kind of film, and uh, I got to play a character that, yeah, I, I really enjoyed. He was kind of a snide bastard, okay? But hey, <laughs> uh, enjoyed it, though, I did. And I got to work with Robbie Burns, cool. actress who is, she's a super, super actress and a model and a, and, and a gorgeous, gorgeous lady. And uh, so let me just say, working on that film with her was a pleasure. Lucky okay. man, lucky <laughs> man. <laughs> Anyway, yeah, that's, uh, I guess, enough shout-outs and all. And I, cool. I thank you guys for having me on. I really oh, our pleasure, well, thank man. Thank you. Thank you for sure. Yeah, we really appreciate you coming on. And, and look, you have to come back on. I mean, when, when, and whenever you want. Just uh, Even if you just want to come on and just shoot the shit with us, you know, that's fine. <laughs> just come on. I can do that, absolutely. I enjoyed talking to you guys. And uh, like I said, anytime, just give me a shout. If I'm not on a set or whatever, then. Sweet. I'll talk. I'll bullshit film. Sounds good, man. Um, so awesome, Paris. Thank you again so much for being our guest on the show. We had a blast. Learned a lot. Uh, and um, thank you, man. Yeah, like we can't wait to have you back on. Um, but anyway, I was your host, Wayne. I have been Kyle, and I am the rum guy. And that was Mr. Parrish Randall. And remember, boys and girls, to to keep it, keep it, keep metal. So yeah, so yeah, so yeah, so yeah. everybody it's razor this is fear and mdi and we are fifth cast the premier show of the fyfc podcast network we like to talk hell we'll talk about anything world events and personal stories technology and pop culture and once even paradoxal porn seriously that's a thing google it 
New episodes are available every Friday on iTunes and Stitcher Radio. Also, subscribe to the video podcast on youtube.com slash FYFC podcasts. Okay, then. That's it. Get the fuck